audio interview with Dr. Janet Elizabeth Colley, recorded Friday, April 29th. Dr. Colley is a clinical psychotherapist, and she practices in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I first heard about her during an interview uh, a couple years ago with Jeremy Vaney on an audio show that he did that was called The Culture of Contact. I will list that uh, link in the show notes. I'm very impressed with Dr. Kali. She has a very, very bold outlook on this stuff. Uh, she wrote a book called Sacred Encounters. The subtitle of the book is Spiritual Awakenings During Close Encounters. Uh, this phenomena, whatever it might be, uh, does have uh, like a, I don't know whether it's a residual side effect or a potential next step in its evolution where therein lies the ability for the experiencer to take it to the next level, to have what amounts to a healing spiritual experience that is somehow related to these etheric realms that, uh, that seem to be tapped into during some people's contact experience. Dr. Kali is a mental health counselor, and during the uh, during the time that we talk together, I do uh, feel like a little bit like I slip into the role of patient, and I share a great deal. Uh, some of the stuff that I share is personal. Um, during the editing process, I was very tempted to take some of it out, and I and I just felt I shouldn't. Um, uh, you'll hear about it during the interview. I have a history of depression in my life. And I've spoken about it before, and I speak about it here, and I feel like talking about it is is relevant to the to the topic at hand, and, and I also feel like it's important to share this stuff. There's a stigma surrounding uh, depression, and I'm just um, doing whatever I can to break that stigma down. Um, that said, I, I feel like Dr. Colley and I dig pretty deep, and, and that's what I like. And, and we may not come up with answers, but we do certainly come up with... Uh, or some bold avenues of speculation. The interview runs about an hour and a half, and on a very deep personal level, I got a lot out of it. Please enjoy. Um, Dr. Colley, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. Oh, uh, that's that's great. Thanks for inviting me. Good, good. I, I, I have a good feeling about this one. Hey, um, you are a therapist. Is that your title? Uh, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I, I say psychotherapist, state of Washington. Yes. And the, and the focus of your work has been. Well, I uh, I do everything. I'd like to say from trauma to enlightenment. I uh, have a, a firm foundation in trauma, but I work with the transpersonal, uh, and that includes uh, the phenomenon you're probably most interested. in in close encounters that includes that that it's not limited to it so transpersonal meaning uh anything beyond the the personal and the uh cultural paradigm so it will include non-ordinary states and altered states of consciousness hey i'm going to read a short <laughs> quote from page 34 of your book and the book is entitled sacred encounters okay the subtle realm is the hidden dimension that shadows the phenomenal world we perceive with our senses. It is the forbidden domain, the realm of angels and aliens, the realm beyond conscious reality. And and then you make a you you refer back to the subtle realm um throughout the book. And and I just wanted to like could you just uh try to define that or or how how do you work with that realm? Oh, my. Uh 
Well, when I wrote the book, I, which was uh, somewhat after uh, I wrote my uh, doctoral dissertation, I was working with the the concept of the imaginal or subtle realm, and I I just wanted to have something. Um, something I could use that was a little more academic, right? And uh, Kenneth Ring, the near-death researcher, had uh, brought this to the public, uh, the imaginal realm. And so I sort of keyed off with that. And and so I kind of, I, as you can tell from my um, <laughs> from what you just read, I try not to define it too uh, rigidly uh, because you can't. <laughs> Uh, you're, uh, it's outside of the um, the norm or the the cultural paradigm. It encompasses a whole lot, and so I I don't like to get too caught up in a rigid definition. How's that? Well, that's I mean, some there's a lot of terms that are very hard to define. A consciousness mm-hmm. is hard to define. Uh, spirituality mm-hmm. or uh, is hard to define. Awakening is hard to define. Yes, enlightenment. Enlightenment right. is hard to define, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Though, though those are, I think those are things that we sense in our heart rather than our intellect, maybe. Right, right. Uh, so I, I just kind of wanted a, a blanket phrase to encompass that which is non-ordinary uh, and outside of the cultural paradigm, perhaps. Um, but um, I don't have any, ba- I don't have really rigid boundaries around it, so... So there. And how do you go about working with your patients? Oh, well, that's, um, that's a pretty broad, another broad question because I have a lot of different kinds of people that come to me. They all tend to have some kind of consciousness of, of the transpersonal, some connection with the transpersonal. Um, but I have a lot of different kinds of people that come to me. So it just depends on their, their real, their individual needs. I, I do use a fair amount of EMDR or the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing technique that is widely used in psychology. Um, and I tend to get really good results because uh, people can access uh, this other um, form of consciousness through EMDR. So it's been really lovely as a way um, to work with other realities. And well, just let's let's uh, uh, focus this a little bit. And then how about just the people who come to you wanting to look into their own uh, experiences with contact experience or, or what would be the UFO abduction experience? Mm-hmm. Well, my partner and I, uh, Thomas Beck, we generally have at least a few people in our practices that have that specific intent. And so um, I, I still use EMDR or also do a lot of dream work. It just depends on how the person themselves, uh, how they work, uh, how they work best, uh, become aware of and process and integrate these experiences. So, um, okay, so I'll use an example. I have a woman currently that I'm working with, and um, she's had uh, a wide range of, of uh, experiences throughout the, the decades um, where she became aware of, of some beings and 
uh, some contact. It was uh, just beneath the surface, and that's the way a lot of it seems to happen. And if you, what I find is, if you, and this works with any phenomenon, but the more you put your attention on it, the more likely you're going to be that you're going to uh, uh, facilitate it or bring it out in your life. So, um, so I'm doing that now with her, just going through her history, and um, and then uh, what's interesting is uh, tying that in with a childhood, uh, what she uh, endured or lived through in her childhood. There might be somewhat of a uh, a link between childhood abuse and trauma of some nature and the ability to have or to have the consciousness or awareness of these uh, experiences. And so we're now doing EMDR, just going into uh, the neglect that she uh, experienced in her childhood and um, healing some of that. And what I expect is that the experiences will sort of um, go back and forth as her awareness uh, develops. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, between uh, the adult life and the childhood, these things will just naturally integrate. Um, I had someone uh, two days ago that, that had a near-death experience, and we did EMDR, and we, we ranged all throughout his life, um, and there was a clear pattern that sort of led to the, to the near-death experience, which was an accident. <laughs> so-called, right, a uh, falling uh, from the sky, uh, hang gliding, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we uh, managed to integrate that uh, all the way back into childhood. And, and that's, the nature, that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of, of the human personality is where we, we sort of tend to relive things in cycles, and uh, and it can begin with our birth processes. Stanislav Grof taught. I don't know if you know anything about about uh, transpersonal psychology. Not much. Ooh. Okay. Well, that I think I think everybody that's interested in close encounters should have should should have a an introduction to that because the, these these are the uh, that's a form of psychology that most readily will deal with close encounters. Um, and the two are strangely uh, uh, un- disconnected at this point, but that's, that happens in psychology a lot. So, um, uh, But it's the psychology of spiritual and non-ordinary experience. And uh, Groff had done a lot of research on the birth process and how that relates to, to one's life. And how do dreams uh, play a role in this? Oh well, they're they're that's a really wonderful uh, um, work that will dream work will will absolutely bring you into a, a deeper awareness of your of the the patterns in your life, the secondary consciousness or secondary awareness that runs underneath our our ego. Uh, the the dreaming body will bring bring your uh, awareness to whatever your uh it'll be in your better interest to know about so i do a lot of dream work uh it helps with people um that um how can i say that need to go into uh, a deeper level uh that they don't 
connect with as much as somebody who, say, would be um, more psychic. And and um, yeah. mm-hmm. is there a delineation now? That I'm just speaking from my own direct experience here. Is there? Um, uh, I certainly have a delineation. Let me put it that way of of what would be normal dreams. Uh, you know, when I and I sense mm-hmm. I know what normal dreams are. Uh, you know, whatever being in junior high school and being lost in the hall seems to be kind of a normal dream for me. But um, there is something that I refer to as a vivid dream. Uh, and these are often very, very like highly colored uh, and, and, and they just sort of pulse with this, with this urgency that, um, that is very, very different. And I pay very close attention to those dreams and make sure to journal those and, and, um, and often draw the, the experience afterwards. Yeah, uh, so, I, yeah, there are different uh, categories or different kinds of dreams. Some of what people think are dreams are probably not dreams. <laughs> so there's there's that, too, and that can, people that have had uh, contact or close encounters uh, frequently have um, some, an experience that will begin as what they might think of as an ordinary dream, but then it clearly becomes something else. That's one of the, the clues. Um, you know, you're dreaming that you're in your bedroom, right? Um, you're dreaming that you're in your bed, uh, uh, but um, you think about it, and there's a there's an altered state or non-ordinary awareness, either with the colors or the, the sensations or or presence. And so these these dreams are really very important, and and you want to start to differentiate. You're absolutely right and log and and go into as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um at some point during the conversation I'll share some some of my own set of experiences but um and one of the, I have mm. some dream experiences that are uh I found very interesting. Let me put it that mm-hmm. way. Um mm-hmm. uh Well, you know, I don't even know if there I don't I I we need more words. <laughs> it's like the Eskimos and snow, right? Uh, they have more words for snow than we would. We need more words uh, than uh, just dream to delineate these altered states because they're probably uh, they're probably not. Some of them, at least, are not dreams. So, and when you um, say not dreams, they might be a real memory that is somehow uh, framed or, or bleeding through as a dream. Sure. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, yeah. Or, that happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is, and and my thought would be that somehow. Um, and this is just my this is you know my own experience is that the, the the very profound dreams are somehow projected or somehow a theatrical uh presentation in my own uh dream space that have mm-hmm. um oftentimes very mythological elements or very you know narratives that 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 uh, are are uh, you know mm-hmm. profoundly uh metaphorical or mythical yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, so you uh, you used a word just now, or to describe that dream. Uh, well, I, I call it yeah, deep dreams. We have we have uh, the, the dream body is is one powerful way everybody has to connect uh, with a deeper reality. So, so yeah, that that was a lovely way of putting it. Projected upon our you know like the stage of consciousness. Uh, it can have transpersonal elements, or uh, archetypal, or uh, collective, or or simply uh, another uh, uh, reality or dimension with beings uh, that are uh, coming through into ours. So, yes. <laughs> 
Oh, go on. Yes. Oh, here. So let me just share the dream with you. So um, this is going back over a year ago, and it was the night before I was preparing to drive to a UFO conference, and that conference took place in Laughlin, Nevada. Um, and so it would have been February of 2010. And um, I was planning to get up very early in the morning and drive, and I, everything was all packed downstairs. I live in a small cabin, and there's a loft that I sleep in. So there's kind of a unsettled sleep before you're planning a trip like that, before you know you have to get up early and drive. So um, I was in bed, and I woke up, and then I uh, wanted to try to go back to sleep, so I had my computer near my bed, and I just played a, a, an audio podcast, which uh, was an interview in a um, on the subject was the UFO phenomena. So um, suddenly I was asleep, and then I realized I was in a forest, and it felt very, very familiar, and it was incredibly rich and vivid and electric in its color. And I've done some illustrations trying to capture that vividness. And I looked off to the side, and these trees, there was very defined trees. There were pine trees. They were thin. They were spaced apart. The forest floor was very flat. It would have been very easy to walk around in. Off to the side was a glowing lampshade, and it was kind of on its side. And I remember looking at that thing saying, that is not a lampshade. And the next thing I knew, I was floating up, and I was I was uh, floating up like in a uh, like I felt the elevator feeling going up, and I was and it happened really fast, and it was and it wasn't scary at all. It was like the sensation of like oh this is this is something I'm used to. This is something I've been through before, and and why should I be scared of this? And then I was looking down at a big circular object in uh, looking down at the forest, and the big circular object was very much. Um, I'm cautious to say flying saucer, but that's again, that's what it seemed to be. And and then the next thing I knew, I was dropping into that flying saucer. And then the next thing I knew, I was in what amounted to like an electric blue tube that was just shockingly vibrant. And there were all these they like uh, electric candy colored, primary colored. Uh, I almost want to say hieroglyphs like embedded in the wall. And I knew these were important, and I reached out and I grabbed one, and it had this curious shape, shaped like a W with a little curve on it. And uh, a few more things happened in the dream, and and the next thing I knew, uh, I was awake. And so I so I I had never done this before. The dream was so vivid that I went downstairs, and I got a voice recorder. And I recorded the entire dream as much as best as I could, like literally with less than a minute after after the dream took place. Oh, and I'll also say that the uh, that the little time count on the audio thing that I was listening to had hardly done anything. So I was, I was it seems like I was asleep for just a matter of a couple minutes, and the narrative seemed really long. Um, I uh, narrated. Oh, I late. Oh yeah. Or oh, are you saying that? Are, are you saying that? You had been asleep for only a few minutes by the counter? That's my assumption, that I had been asleep for just a few minutes by the counter, though the dream probably felt like it lasted longer than that. Okay. So, okay. so there was a little bit of a disconnect, and I, and I recognize that. Um, it's hard to know exactly. And, and, uh, okay. So, um, so I came back upstairs, lay down in the bed, and then uh, narrated into the voice recorder my dream as best I could. It's interesting because if you re-listen to it, you can tell that I'm sleepy and had just woken up. So, And I kind of say, well, that's all I can remember. And then I switch off the voice recorder and I turn off my light. And and I'm hesitant to say this, but, but there was a 
glowing blue orb floating above my bed. Uh, you know, maybe three feet above my face. Maybe a little bit mm. down lower. Mm. Maybe a little bit closer to my torso. Mm -hmm. And it was probably about the size of a big grapefruit. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and Oh, oh okay. Mm -hmm. And I just watched it for a moment. And, and I should have... I mean, that's kind of an arresting sight. I should have kind of freaked out. And what I did was just whoosh, went right back to sleep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, well done. You should go to conferences more often. <laughs> well, I tried to. I just like it's become sort of an addiction going to the conferences. Or I, I mean, yeah, you know, just do something. Do something. Shake up your <laughs> routine. Well done. That was that was quite. I bet that was very exciting. Well, so the thing that got strange was I went down to the conference and and I was with a friend of mine. Her name is Natasha, and I met her at the Las Vegas airport. And then we went into Sedona for two days. She was told that uh, by literally by a psychic that she should visit Sedona and I had never been there so we went there for a couple days together and it was delightful and and we went on some hikes and and uh, one of the things that happened was we met a fellow at a coffee shop he was this charming character and his name was Joseph Mark and uh, he needed a ride to the conference so we just struck up this conversation the first thing he says is oh I'm looking for a ride to the Laughlin conference and say so, oh, we're leaving there this afternoon and he's like oh great can I hitchhike with you and we said sure so we had lunch with him and uh, and he is a claims you know he studies the Kabbalah and he studies numerology and he's a astrologer and uh, and I said listen you're you're you know about symbols right and he says sure I know about symbols so I drew it on the on the napkin I wrote, uh, I drew the image of that, that W shape that I pulled off the wall and held in my mm. hand in that tube. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I, and if you look at it carefully, the W shape is just a little bit curious. It doesn't quite look like a W. And I drew that on the napkin and I said, you know, like, can you tell me what this means? And he looked at it and without hesitating at all, he flipped the image upside down and he says, well, it's my initials. JM and sure enough you looked at it upside down and it was very clearly the the initials JM kind of kind of uh uh pushed together in the kind of an artistic way. Hmm. hmm. Well, uh hmm so there's a whole lot going on here. And, um. Yeah, and I could I could keep going. There's a few other little things that I won't go into right now, but uh, it, it keeps going, so. Well, you know, uh, um I uh, uh getting back to the thing about labels, it may have started as a dream and ended as a dream, but I, do, I don't think the middle of it was a dream in the normal sense of the word. I don't think it was, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you were in your body. I mean, I would say that. I, I would think that that was more more likely something where you where you uh, took a tour, <laughs> where you where you you know uh, took off and uh, accessed another. Uh, dimension and, and came back i mean i look at it more like that um so um but i i think we need to enlarge our vocabulary of what takes place <laughs> in the middle of the night you know it, it's not merely these are not um they're not dreams all of one category so so i think that that represents uh your connection with a reality much more um uh much more than say the the dream of uh getting lost in your high school <laughs> so 
So um, if you look at your ability to do that, I mean, if you want to strengthen that ability, and if you would have, if, if you had more, more dreams like that occurring, I would totally recommend you study some of the Tibetan uh, dream work, uh, their lucid dream work, and that you try to develop that yourself um, and, um, or, and or out of body work. I mean, these things are, uh, these are techniques and tools. Uh, uh, tech, these are technologies. That's a better word. These are technologies that we can utilize to uh, give us more chance of control uh, and um, deepen our connection. So that's a lovely, lovely experience. And uh, and it comes back to the blue orb. There's a lot of uh, of uh, research going on now with, with orbs. There are other forms of life. I, I wouldn't begin to comment on what that might be, but I think that's a lovely end, ending uh, to the experience that, that it was clearly non-ordinary. And, and um, you know, I... I just don't know why we're not having more stuff like that happen happen to everybody and, and that we're not taking it more seriously. And you know what? The, the symbol, I would, you know, I would be inclined to, to um, uh, take a look at some of Egyptian hieroglyphics for that. Or, you know, and, but, but your synchronicity with, with that man, <laughs> meeting that man is, is lovely in and of itself. So, so um, you know, the, the work will continue uh, that you're experiencing as long as you continue to push yourself, push the envelope, you're, you know, before a workshop or before a conference, uh, our, our uh, unconscious is constellated and starts to really cook. Uh, and so that's why I jokingly said you ought to go more often. And, um, and uh, what I have been doing as a form of, uh, I've been, keeping an online blog and that's, mm-hmm. where, that's where this interview will be posted and what I have been doing and it, it's a little bit self-indulgent and I don't know what else to say uh, <laughs> I'm a little worried about my own ego in a way but what I've been doing is is uh, uh, like documenting as best I can as honestly as I can my own set of experiences and it's been very interesting because unlike in a like a book that you would write you know like where you try to sum up 10 years of your life in a book I can write the experience that took place last night and share it uh, mm-hmm, within mm-hmm. hours and then oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, so I've been doing a lot of stuff with my synchronicities and my dreams and my odd experiences most of which are showing up in the form of synchronicities actually Instead of keeping a dream journal that's in a in a bound book that I keep on a desk, I am doing it mm-hmm. very public, you know, mm-hmm. in the arena of yeah. the internet. Yeah, that that certainly that certainly networks it. It it, it puts it out there and and uh, uh, has a has a chance that you're going to link up with people like minded people. Um, I'm I'm interested myself in in uh, lucid dream technologies to to facilitate encounters, number one, um, and also uh, to uh, facilitate a kind of, I, I don't like to call it telepathy, but a connection between minds. Uh, so there are things that we can do. You know, the, the Internet is a, is a, is a uh, technology, um, but we have things that can, within our own nervous system, we have, te- we have, uh, we can develop technologies that will uh, 
allow us to uh, interface with these other non-ordinary realities. And I think we, we, you know, the more serious we are about it, I, I mean, it's wonderful people can look on your uh, blog and then if they, they can relate to it, and it kind of keeps the ball rolling. I just want to enhance that more because these are, these are really, um, I say, non-ordinary experiences, but, but if we shared them more often, they would, they would become more ordinary. I mean, it's just a facility of the human nervous system, our neurophysiology that we have uh, that we need to develop uh, for our own evolution. So, so great. <laughs> Good work. Well, thanks, thanks, and and it's been um, mm-hmm. it's been very rewarding, and it has been in essence. You know, you were sort of encouraging me to go to more conferences and and in uh, in that type of thing. So what I have done instead, or you know, in conjunction with that, I guess, is to uh, I don't know, just to be as honest as I can be in in that arena. And then what's happened is I've I've met a lot of people that share very similar experiences, oftentimes, you know, unbelievably uh, interlocking, tightly knit experiences you know you know people very much the same age as me are contacting me uh for reasons i don't quite understand and um uh i'm 48 mm-hmm. years old right now and i can't tell you how many people i've talked to who are 48 years old who had a profound uh very profound ufo experience in 1974 that that mimics my experience um so you know that's those mm-hmm. are the, that that's the kind of interaction i'm having so there's like synchronicities within the synchronicities uh in a way mm-hmm. hey do you, so you you I, I'm assuming you see a fair amount of clients that report this phenomena. Oh uh, well, like I said, we always have a few, and so that's kind of ongoing. But we have uh, uh, there's such a wide range of uh, stuff that people um, <laughs> that people experience. I um, and it, it's not just limited to this, but uh, this is one of my favorite phenomena: close encounters. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> and do, so do you run a do you run a support group uh, or anything like oh, that? Oh no. No, you, you know what? And I am not the kind of person that um how can I say? I I don't do a lot of group work. Um I do more individual work. What what we found is uh with uh, the when we tried to do groups is people were on such different levels. Uh, uh they had such different experiences, different interpretations and uh they were on very different levels, and we kind of got more into conflict, unfortunately. And uh, to me, it watered down the work that we could do. I'd rather do individual work. It was just in, more intense and deeper. For me, it didn't work that well. Uh, when I say attend more conferences, I really meant whatever floats your boat, right? Whatever, whatever, uh, whatever uh, takes you deeper, that's what I would recommend. And for me, it was not the group work. And it's really a matter of every person finding their their link or their connection. And I mentioned lucid dreaming or uh, mind to mind work, um, and uh, these are the things I'm I'm kind of interested now in in uh, facilitating. Or if I were to do a project other than the individual psychotherapy I do, that uh, those are the things that I would focus on myself. Um, and define mind to mind work. 
Well, that's uh, that's uh, uh, when I said I didn't want to use the word telepathy, but but a connection between minds. uh, For example, when I I had a spiritual teacher, well, she's in the book, uh, Joy Gilbert, as she was called in in my book, Sacred Encounters. Uh, And when I was with her, I felt at times that we were uh, telepathically linked. And um, and I do feel that at times with some of my clients, I you know I'll just kind of have a way of of connecting with them, and I'd like to facilitate that. Uh, and for example, there's a really uh, cool exercise that Edgar Casey recommends for anybody that wants to understand that. And if you you pick a person, um, two people will agree at the same time, roughly the same time every day for about 30 days, that they will think of each other for, oh, I don't know, a number of minutes, say as little as five minutes, and they'll just connect with each other at a distance. So it's connecting at a distance without something like the Internet, right? I mean, we've done this with a uh, material technology, and what I'm suggesting is that we try to use non-material uh, technologies at this point in in our evolution, and that we will will get further. <laughs> so so anyway, so I'm starting an experiment uh, with my own partner, and we're we're trying to do this and see what kind of uh, mental link we can establish uh, based on what Edgar Casey suggests. Little experiments like that. If I had a team of really good lucid dreamers, uh, I have another. Uh, research project I'd like to do to to um, to initiate a craft, the sighting of a craft uh, through lucid dreams. Uh, so um, I mean, there are all kinds of exciting things we can link up to do. Um, and if you've got a blog going, you know, uh, I mean, that's an excellent way to reach out um, and uh, uh, connect with like-minded people and and put yourself out and suggest things. Heck. Yeah, yeah, oh, this is fascinating. Hey, um, in your research, now, one of the things that's, uh, I've been just trying to, I've met a lot of people who claim the direct experience, whatever mm-hmm. that means. It's very mystifying to me. And um, I've seen a lot of patterns that show up that, um, that are very surprising. Well, I guess not so surprising. But, um, and I just, I'm just going to read off a few here. Uh, you know, like uh, people will claim after their experience or as part of their experience or in conjunction with their experience, they'll gain psychic skills mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and they'll have the ability to channel. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, it's not just close encounters. I, I mean, if you uh, know about Ken Ring's work, anything that that and he, well, he looked at people's increase consciousness, I'll just use that word, uh, after near-death and UFO experiences. So um, this will happen as well after uh, near-death experiences. People will typically feel that their neurophysiology has been in some way altered and um, enhanced, and and I think there might might be some um, electromagnetic changes. So, uh, so... I think it's a very real thing, and the effects from it can be very powerful. And, and that's part of why I'm writing my, my new book, is to show the very real ways that the human uh, physiology is evolving now. Uh, and and the, the experiences that we have, including trauma, that actually 
um, uh, evolve us. So, oh, so so go ahead. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm going off. No, on no, train this is great. Here. This is excellent. And and um, yeah, that's this that's this is it's very interesting because I feel like I'm doing this type of research, and I don't know quite what to call it uh, on my own here. And I am mm-hmm. sensing. Though I have no proof of it, though I, there is a very real sense that something is evolving right now. And the people that I talked to when I was saying I had uh, uh, seeing patterns in what people are sharing, one of the mm-hmm. patterns that I'm seeing, and I don't know if you could comment on this, is just like between 2006 and 2008, it seemed like people were uh, reporting, I don't know how to say it, basically being switched on. I don't know how else to say that. Oh, oh, uh, well, uh, gosh, I don't know about those years. I didn't particularly notice those years, but but we uh, that that whole notion of being, uh, yeah, of being uh, sort of turned on, uh, like a button or a switch has been flipped. Um, I, that has been reported by a number of people we've seen, including Haley is in the book Fake mm-hmm. Encounters. And she had a very, very specific experience in which she felt that she was contacted and told uh, that uh, sort of now was her time of awakening. And so, yeah, I think that can happen. It's and it's more or less conscious. But but the more people it happens to, uh, you clearly have to see something is happening to us on a collective level. <laughs> so I'm glad. I'm glad you're sort of a. Uh, collecting stories and passing them around because that it just does help. And another one of the patterns I see, and this is, and I've sat in like what amount to like uh, abductee support groups, and I haven't done mm-hmm. many of them, but I've seen like it seems like about sixty percent of the people that sit in the circle and share their stories are telling beautiful stories of of uh, communing with angels and from like a loving, benevolent light-filled realm and then about 40 percent of the people tell stories of uh basically being like examined by you know malevolent little gray doctors and they tell stories that are just like you know horrifying at a, at a level that's hard to, to even make sense mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. well that's what i meant by group work if you get people on different levels and and uh and if it's not really well facilitated it can lead to conflict and kind of devolve I mean, we do have. Um, I, I think. I think there's there are different levels of experience, and uh, some are more physical than others. Um, others, you know, some are more material, embodied experiences, and um, we bring our egos and our uh, our fear-based egos, I must say, along for the ride, and so um, people may be interpreting and experiencing that through a certain channel and and so so that's why i think it's really important that people do individual work if they feel they've been traumatized because you don't want to stay stuck in that you want to have that process uh and and any trauma i I mean i don't care if it's human trauma human sexual abuse or even work that you feel has been done by um government programs Hi, this is Mike chiming in during the editing process. What you are hearing in the background is, in fact, a very cute little kitten. Yes, my cat, Jackie, was climbing all over my lap during the recording. Just so you know. These things can be processed, and it's important to find a really good 
solid container to do that work. Otherwise, you're out there in the collective uh, telling your story of a, of of abuse uh, or so-called abuse, and you're just serving to spread that fear. And so, I just think it's it's really important to look for people that can help you process things if that's needed. You know, and the same thing for people that have the more disembodied or angelic experiences. I would say look look to ground that. <laughs> look to ground that uh, in the body. And so so it's not merely uh, a split-off dissociated um, uh, experience either. So we have kind of two challenges on either end. Um, I, myself... Uh, I don't know if I'm more comfortable with the more embodied ones, but I certainly, I certainly um, have never been of the mind that there are evil aliens uh, here on the planet abusing us. Um, um, but uh, it's just very important to, to to find someone that can help you work with it. And now, now that we've got tools like EMDR, it's just incumbent upon people to do their work. <laughs> so I, that's that's a comment. I don't know if you were looking for that, but oh, if you looked only at pop culture, you know, like if you only got your information through yeah. late night cable television, you know, right. exploitative documentaries, um, you would never know that there was there was a you know people reporting the benevolent angel type experience. Um, you would only think that people were being you know dragged from their beds and and um, oh. subjected mm-hmm. to evil medical exams or what what certainly seems like yeah. terrifying medical exams. Yeah, and I don't want to discount anybody's experience, but but uh, I, I think it's uh, real important that you also try to find people that have been through it and processed it and see what they're saying about it. That's why I partly why I wrote my book, Sacred Encounters, is I wanted to show what somebody who had a, a, an extensive experience with meditation and with altered states that that was Joy Gilbert in the book. Uh, how she worked with that trauma, it, what started out as a trauma, was highly shocking and frightening to her, and how she was able to work with that and uh, come out the other end, and Haley as well in the book. And so I wanted to show examples of, of people that, that um, without discounting the fear, I wanted to show examples of people that had, had gone through that and come out the other end. So possible. So in your book, you, you share that your husband, is your husband Thomas? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. Is also an experiencer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and were you, I mean, you must have been there as he was uh, going through the process of dealing with all this, as he was going through the process of probably denial and acceptance and, and the confusion. You must have been right there with him. Well, I, I, it's ongoing. I mean, it's ongoing. He, he's, we don't call ourselves alien abductees. Um, and when you say uh, we, do you include yourself in that? I've had experiences. Um, I've had a number of experiences of some kind of contact. Um, but um, like I said, I don't call myself an alien abductee. Um, so there are different levels of experience, everything from a sighting of a craft to uh, actually, um, you know, communicating or or um, being in the presence of beings, and so I'm I fit somewhere there in the middle. <laughs> and and um, I, I'm I'm going to jump in too, where where like I am also very very. Oh, this is very. It's very hard for me to to try to articulate this because um, I feel strongly that something 
has intersected with my life. Uh, and it may, or it certainly seems to have uh, some influences with, with the uh, UFO phenomena. Um, mm-hmm. Though, for instance, I do not have any of the dreams, or excuse me, any of the memories that would paint a picture of like mm-hmm. the, the late night cable TV documentary of an alien abduction. I, that just okay. doesn't exist in my head. Uh, I do have mm-hmm. some profound events in my life that certainly point or how to say, you know, like if puzzle pieces were on the table, right? You know, each individual experience mm-hmm. is a puzzle piece. Uh, oftentimes they make a little, you know, there's a hole left over. And what might fit in that hole might be an alien abduction experience. Though I'm, though without mm-hmm. having the, the direct memory of that, I, I just simply can't go there and call it that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I, I mean, that's not atypical. That, that's, I think a fair amount of people are in that boat because uh, because uh, we may lack um, the um, conscious memory of that of that uh, encounter, uh, but there there's a lot else that that may have happened that seems to fit the basket, and um, it puts you in that category. But uh, but you know what? Um, you know, I would just say. Um, from my own experience working with others, facilitating others, uh, including in my personal, in our personal lives, that um, these experiences are, can be underneath the surface, and it's just a matter of getting underneath the surface yourself. <laughs> so whatever your, your practices are, uh, it becomes really important uh, doing some kind of teaming up with someone to do some kind of work to get you there, okay? And I, it used to be, oh, it used to be hypnotherapy was the big thing. Um, but really, uh, for example, I would recommend you do breath work. Uh, holotropic breath work would be a wonderful um, way to go deeper. Uh, we, we've uh, made some forms illegal in this culture, <laughs> but um, some... Um, some of the entheogens now, you know, you can't use legally, but but there are many, many methods to get yourself deeper, including doing some kind of work with somebody uh, that has more of a shamanic capacity. Uh, once you have that connection with a healer, um, they also are going to uh, be tapping into your uh, experiences that are just underneath the surface. So there's all kinds of stuff you could be doing. Um, I uh, I love um, a good puzzle, but you know the the uh, process of putting it together is what it's all about. <laughs> so you know, go deeper, um, turn up the heat a little, and you know the pieces start to just uh, come together. It, it, sometimes it's a matter of finding the right healer or the right person to work with or the right group or the right the right technique the right technology but but they're out there i don't think we at this point we have enough armchair philosophers right it's like i'm i'm interested in direct experience i mean that's about it i don't you know speculation is kind of beside the point when we have within our own human bodies the capacity to um to uh, uh, range between the the realms, 
And so you're suggesting just to reach out and, and access these realms. To yeah, uh, yeah, reach out and access the technologies that will enable you to do that. Make, making lists, lucid dream technologies uh, to enhance your, your ability to uh, move into deeper dreams. Um, uh, holotropic breathwork, um, EMDR, these things are, you mentioned uh, sweat lodges, uh, um, you know, going to conferences, <laughs> you know, uh, these kinds of things. I, uh, here's a question. Any, like, do people report owls or experiences with owls? Oh, um, let's see. Oh, we've had a variety of um, animal, not ordinary animal, kind of experiences. Oh, let's see here. Oh, I don't know, coyotes, wolves. I believe there have, yes, been some owls in the mix. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, just the reason I, I ask is just I have been uh, I know. Uh, at the receiving end of some very... Per- <laughs> Very interesting owl stories. Um, and uh, I mean, that would be a, that's a wonderful uh, uh, connection right there. Is boy, uh, so I mean, by Native American right lore, you would have the owl as one of your power animals. And who knows if I mean, there are ways that uh, sometimes these relate to screen memories. However, there's more than one way to look at it, and so you definitely have an owl connection that. Have you ever dreamt of one? Or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, so I've dreamt go. of them. Yeah, the, and the ones that I have seen, you know, the, the owls that I have seen, I feel very strongly are not screen memories. I feel strongly mm-hmm. that they are, in fact, real owls. And okay. why they, uh, they, you know, at a certain point, I, I sort of declared, I said out loud, it's like, listen, I'm not going to, okay, universe, I'm not going to pay attention if it's just some dumb owl off to the side, right? Like, that doesn't count. Like, you got to either, you got to, like, cross my path. You got to, like, you got to somehow intersect with me before I mm-hmm. pay attention and I think within a couple of days, they were, they the, the, I started having owls flying across my path. I would well, there you go. You've got you. You uh, may even uh, okay. I would. You know what? I this is one uh, story I'm writing about. Case <laughs> it's a true case I'm writing about in my new book. But I have a um, client had a client who was had eagle as a spirit guide and eagle. I mean, I was, uh, she was quite shocked when Eagle showed up. She had no connection with shamanic or nothing like that in her background, no knowledge of it whatsoever. Eagle showed up in her awareness, but very clearly Eagle is related to material Eagles as well and uh, can manifest through the material Eagles out in the world, right? We have a lot of Eagles here on Whidbey Island. Sure, yes, I've spent a lot of time out there. Oh, my God. And so, so... Uh, this is a, so Eagle would, would, uh, communicate with her and he would say something like, uh, oh, he had heard his, uh, wing. <laughs> he had heard his wing. And, you know, so it became clear that while this was a spirit guide, uh, it was also capable of inhabiting the material, you know, a material eagle. And, um, and in fact, I, this is the, most wonderful thing i'm trying to save this uh the trees from being cut down on the property next to ours and we have a kind of an eagle management program here uh on the island and you're not allowed to fell the trees if they're within a certain uh footage from an uh a bald eagle nest and so eagle suggested i i i asked if he could have some eagles nest in the trees <laughs> if he could if he could uh 
uh, do that for us and so so we could save the trees and he set about trying to c- contact uh some eagles uh on the island here and see and if he could find a pair who who would nest in the trees and and thereby you know save the trees and so there's a wonderful example of how the the immaterial or subtle realm, so-called, right, will impact or or bridge and impinge on the material realm, and 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 change our material reality. Uh, and that's the other thing that's just just fascinating is the realm of what Carl Jung called the psychoid. Uh, where our psyches will impact, and this is also synchronicity falls into play here, where our, our psyches will impact the material realm and call into experience uh, all kinds of phenomenon um, based on the energy. And so, so, so keep going with those owls. Um, you know, the way you communicated was exactly right, is try to, to you know, uh, um, foster or facilitate some form of uh, communication with them as well. Uh, that that could bring a lot into your life. Is uh, the owl has uh, the qualities, incredible qualities um, that you could utilize. You could bring into your into your life. Wolf. How do you define the uh, the term shaman? Oh well, uh, well I guess. Pretty loosely as well, like, like all things. I, sure, yeah, that's uh, another but, one that's that's hard to define exactly. Yeah. yeah, but they do tend to range, or they're the intermediaries between the realms, and uh, they seem to have that ability. So, uh, like this this client I'm I'm talking about with her with Eagle as her spirit guide, she has the ability to um, communicate with Eagle, and and she, so I call her. Uh, a, a shaman uh, without having formal training. She had no training whatsoever. She was initiated through cancer, uh, came into my office uh, desperate uh, with, um, you know, feeling suicidal from, uh, from having to face cancer, and through that uh, was initiated into communicating with uh, some some uh, form of the spirit life beyond, and so she's clearly a, a shaman. Um, uh, so I, I, that's a, a one thing. My clients uh, tend to have uh, shamanic ability, uh, and with her, it's uh, through, uh, say, an animal or spirit guide. But um, uh, in other other ways as well, uh, count so. How's that? Yeah, that's. I mean, the shaman thing is something that that is. A, it's a. It's a little catchphrase that, in a way, I, I, I refer back to as I try to make sense of of uh, sure. you know, the grander phenomena. That it just seems like mm-hmm. that there are people, and it seems to be accelerating, and it seems mm-hmm. to be that these the the people who are claiming the direct experience are, I don't know how to say it, like shamans in initiation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and I, I, the thing I'm trying to focus on in my book is how trauma, uh, whether it's, uh, there are all kinds of traumas that we, in fact, I think probably seven-tenths of, of, of the population has endured significant trauma somewhere in their life, uh, for anywhere from human abuse to accident or illness. Trauma initiates us into this other reality. And there's the, the, the uh, 
shamanic illness uh, that, you know, we've heard about is, is the initiator to this shamanic reality in which you have something pulls you in to go deeper. With myself, it was cancer. So the more we're traumatized, the more we have the potential, uh, ironically, to open up. So however the invitation shows up, it's, it's, uh, now is the time to heed it. I, I uh, may edit this out, what I'm about to say, and I'll, I'll try to say it is. Um, I, uh, in 1990, the winter of 92, 93, went through a bout of, of severe clinical depression. And um, it's very hard to say, you know, like where I was in that, but I felt, I mean, I was at suicide's door, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the act of going through that and the act of, uh, you know, death in rebirth is is completely appropriate to describe how it how it uh, interceded with my life and coming out the other end of it you know sort of the the rebirth process has been uh you know was challenging i mean there was, I was close to a decade where i did a lot of hard work uh and mm-hmm. the my ability to talk my ability to share my ability to to to, to talk about uh you know whatever like my feelings as silly as it sounds or you know or or um has been has changed it's been greatly enhanced and i am not the same person i was before that event before that event i would have never been able to share uh my feelings the way i can now um at this point now it's sort of hard to shut me up a little bit but uh um so that in this is okay this is i'm gonna uh, let just i didn't realize as i started saying this as in that winter uh in a private january or february of 1993, I would have been 30 years old, I was quite literally at the darkest chapter of my life. I uh, had, uh, I was living alone in a house in Maine, and I've shared this story on the this podcast before, but I'll do it again for you. I was living alone in, in a house in rural Maine, and uh, I woke up one night with a great big bright light shining through the window. And I sat up in bed, and I looked out the window, and there were five of what are now the diminutive, classic gray aliens with the big heads and the great big black eyes and the skinny bodies that were walking towards the house. They were backlit by something very bright. The thing that they were backlit by was was very small. It looked like nothing more than a bright light um sort of low to the ground. It did not look like a, you know, there was no flying saucer, let me put it that way. The reaction I had was very strange. The reaction I had was, you know, here's like these, you know, this terrifying image, right? You know, I mean, I should have, in all rights, I should have leapt out of bed, grabbed a baseball bat and, you know, locked all the doors. And, and uh, But what I didn't do, I, I laid down and went right back to sleep. I, I felt like there was a voice in my head, whether it was my own voice in my head or not, I, it's hard for me to say, but the voice in my head very clearly said, uh, now is time to lay your head on the pillow and shut down. And that's exactly what I did. I was completely sucked dry of emotion. And I will say this is part of the reason I am so fascinated with this, uh, you know, the subtle realm or this alternate reality or this dimensional shift. I don't know how you want to say it. The sensation I got, and this makes the sensation when I describe this, um, in a way will make it very easy to dismiss the whole story by a skeptic because they can say, oh, you're just describing a dream. But the, oh, sen- no. the sensation I had was 
somehow like it was not a normal sensation i was uh disrupted somehow uh it was it was strangely quiet and it felt like that that like the normal psychological chatter that i would have in my head that i think all of us have uh just you know one thought flowing into a next was somehow erased or calmed down to the point where there was a clarity there was a hyper vividness to the situation that that um that unless you'd experience it i could just grope for words and go on like this trying to describe it but it, there was a sort of uh wide angle head in the fishbowl feeling that that is hard to describe um and, Oh, and, and no, so let me just say that 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 experience, and I didn't realize it when I started sharing the story. That experience would have been, you know, like if I put a a line on a chart, right? You know, so here's my my mental health, you know, and here's here's as bad as it got, you know, and it gets this one point on the chart, and that's the that's the tip of the bell curve, and then I eased out of it. That event from, of from seeing that point? of seeing those five entities in the yard out my window really? would have exist at the at what amounted to the lowest most mm-hmm. dangerous point in my life and then you eased out of it and then i eased out of it through oh that's a wonderful story oh my god yeah, i mean i was definitely i was on prozac i was on a multiple series of drugs i was doing oh, a lot dear. of hard work i was you know uh you know reading a lot of spiritual stuff after that um but uh so yeah that event took place in part and this is i, I don't know if i've ever shared this but i've that the uh i i i felt like my my psychological makeup, my brain chemistry was so disrupted when that event took place that it felt like, um, how do, I'm just going to have to say this correctly, that it felt like uh, in a way they, if they were trying to sort of hide their their presence, that, that somehow my brain chemistry didn't work in a way that their, that their uh, cloaking technology would, would affect my brain. Does that make sense? Oh wait a minute! Uh, uh, say that again. Say that one more time. Yeah, yes, it's very difficult for me to articulate. Um, it felt like my brain chemistry at that chapter of my life, in uh-huh. February of 1993, was in such a crisis. Yeah, was so disrupted that mm-hmm. maybe you know, and there's all these stories of of gray aliens having the ability to erase memories or cloak their cloak people's memories. It feels like my my brain chemistry was so disrupted that their technology couldn't work properly. And that's hmm. why I came away with a memory. Oh, that's interesting. I, 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 that's interesting. I may be I wrong. Uh huh. Um, but so, that's your your sense. Yeah. Now here, let me just. I'm just going to jump ahead here. I apologize. I'm I'm talking so much. Uh, that that sensation, that feeling of of the head in the fishbowl, that altered reality sensation, showed up in a dream. And I'm going to share this dream. It all. I'll tell it quickly. In the dream, uh, I was visiting my brother. And my brother said, hey, Mike, uh, you know, like, you should check this out. I got this thing. You might find it interesting. It's in the garage. And I'm like, so, you know, what is it? And he says, yeah, you know, I'm doing this government work. And, you know, like, you know, someone didn't want it, so they just dropped it off at my garage. But it's a flying saucer. And I'm like, you're kidding. So I went in his garage, and sure enough, there was, like, a flying saucer. And it was looked like it was sort of partially dismantled. Uh, uh, and it was up on blocks, you know, in his garage. It was this tiny little thing. It wasn't much bigger than, a, like, a van. And he said, yeah, you know, this the darndest thing, and you can't get near the thing without it altering your reality. And I'm like, what? So I stepped forward towards this, this, <laughs> this like, uh, flying saucer there in his garage, and sure enough, as I got about five feet away from the thing, I felt that exact feeling that I had that night mm-hmm. overcome me. 
and mm-hmm. it, and it and then I could take a few steps back and it would go away. I would walk forward and I would perceive it. So I had the ability in this dream to mm-hmm. monitor that sensation and to make oh. sense of it in a way that that I could quantify, right? You know, you take a few steps it's back. Great. And Look at how your your dream body is actually, I mean, this is a state-dependent memory. So the the memory of the original, uh, I, I mean, it has to do with being in a particular state of consciousness. But your dream body has has uh, brought it back under the guise of a, you know, a dream about a UFO. But, to sh- you know, it's like showing you um, that there is a real state of consciousness a real altered state that you can um, that you can access again, okay, and showing you the phenomenon it has to do with UFOs, um, but that you have within your brain uh, the capacity to go into it again, okay. So now I'm curious because I misunderstood you earlier in the show. I thought you said that you didn't have access to any memories, and that you you know like other people. Uh, and what I will say is that I, I am so, like, I'm, like, whatever, there's, there's a reason to be skeptical, right? There's a reason to have healthy skepticism and not just believe everything. Um, and, and the one person that I am singularly the most skeptical of is myself. Uh, so I, I look at that memory of the, the, what Mm -hmm. I witnessed out of the window, the Mm -hmm. five aliens, and I have a very difficult time saying that happened in physically reality i i sense that that was somehow a okay. dream whether that's my own defensive oh my god okay so what i'm talking about it's a state dependent memory that means you literally have to be in the state again in order to fully experience that memory the fact that we're sitting here talking in another state of consciousness and you're looking at it from another state of consciousness is why you have skepticism or doubt okay but I, I, your dream is putting you in touch with that state in order to show you, right, that it's, it's a re- very real thing and that you can come closer or farther away from it, see? You can access it or you can, you know, you can, you can decrease it, right? You can, you can uh, limit it uh, depending on uh, sort of like um, your distance from it. Um, in terms of states of consciousness, uh, I'm not saying this very well. No, but no I understand. The reason, okay, the reason we have doubts or skepticism is because we're in a different state of consciousness when we're talking here. Um, but I don't have any. I don't have any doubt that if if you know we just flip that switch, which you did in a dream, <laughs> that you would uh, be um, quite uh, in the same. You would be in the memory to the degree that you could not deny it. Okay, so that's the problem with with people. The skeptic is that you know I don't bother with them anymore because if, as Haley and in, in Sacred Encounters said, if if you don't have the experiences, it's no use trying to argue someone or argue with someone about it if they if they don't have that within their repertoire, right? Within their own experience. Once you do, um, at least you can um, shift uh, into it again. And when you're in it, you can't deny it. So the fact that you're that you've played these mind games with yourself for all this time is like I just say, hey, uh, learn to shift channels and uh, get past that. It, you will never convince that part of your mind that's an ordinary waking reality. You know, so we need to spend more time in these altered states, get more conversant with them, 
learn how to enter them more freely, and, and uh, your relationship with the skeptic inside you will change. Does that make sense? Very much so. And the thing that's interesting is that um, I'm proceeding forward uh, with all of this, you know, with my with my research. Um, oh yeah. And and so I'm so I'm not shy about looking into this. And I will also say that if I was, you know, um, if I had met someone, you know, knowing what I know now, and they shared the exact same story that I shared, I would kind of roll my eyes and say, like, you hey, would? Yeah, yeah, like, like, come on, buddy, you, you know, would. suck it up, you know, like it's, you know, it really happened. But uh, oh, but, you you would yes, you would be on the side of it really happened. Yeah. Okay, and, great. And then it, it I, and I, and yeah. there is like a very human thing where, like, you know, it's very, it's, it's hard to say that about myself. Yeah, well, that's that's just due to your lack of facility with being in that altered state. It's it's like it's a relatively rare event, and you don't have a lot of experience with it. Look, there's a study. Okay, so all the stuff about state-dependent work. I mean. Uh, they would do experiments with college students. They'd, they'd get them inebriated. They'd, you know, apply them with alcohol. They'd give them memory tests to learn or whatever, and they would learn them, but they could not access them again. They, the, the memory would be, would be less if they, unless they were drunk. <laughs> so, in other words, when they were sober, they didn't remember as well what they learned, but they got them drunk again, and, oh, yeah, they remembered it. Huh, and that, right? almost, that almost, in a way, is like the, the same thing, where it's like you, yeah. you, you smell your, your grandmother's perfume, and you, yeah. you, you, you're flooded with memories of your grandmother, you know, like, you, yeah. so you obviously smelled her perfume when you were in her living room as a little child, and then as an adult, you, you smell the same perfume again, and you, you can very vividly recreate the grandma's uh, living room. Right, and so this is it, and so you just want to get more facility with that particular altered state, you know, or bring, you know, or... Uh, and that's the value of doing some kind of technology, uh, some altered state technology, uh, that will help you to get there. And, uh, you know, the more conversant you are, the more the skeptic dies down some or is quieted, and you just don't spend as much time with it. So, so, um, so, so yes, um, I would say that personal memory is what it's all about. You know, it's like, don't edit that out. <laughs> That's, that's really important. Um, you know, what's interesting is your doubt, and that doubt just has to do with uh, we hang out in a different state of consciousness most of our time, and we got to get past that. You know, and that's, I use the word process. We've got to process it more so that it's more fully integrated and there's not such a big glitch between this channel and the other channel. You know, we want the channels to get, you know, more in touch and more merged and, you know, we want some. Uh, we, we want some of what's on that station more on this station, and vice versa. Um, so, I mean, that's what interspecies communication is all about. Good. My cat has jumped up on the table here. Let me see if I can get her to talk. Oh my God, Wheezy is here too, right on my lap. Really? Okay. Like sometimes when the cat gets on my lap, um, she starts playing with the cord because I have a little headset on. So she'll play with a cord in it. She's a little too playful sometimes for these thoughtful conversations. <laughs> well, I, I, maybe they're trying to connect with each other. Maybe they are. You want to talk to Wheezy, kitten? You going to climb on my little... Okay, she's going to get in my lap. Okay, I've got a cat in my lap, too. Oh. Okay, we both have cats in our laps. Um, she's hey, listening. She is? Okay, let me see if I can get the kitten. Here, let me just... Oh, my goodness. So I just want let to... Let me just figure out how to phrase this. Um, the people I've talked to who have experienced this directly 
oftentimes we'll be in the moment, the moment of maybe like the dark night of the soul. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, like a very confusing point. Uh, uh, I f- oh, did you hear that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she's, okay, um, sorry, I'm, I'm getting all cat-centric here. Let me. So uh, the people I've talked to directly will talk about uh, either being in it or, or experiencing it uh, like the dark night of the soul, like a, like a sort of a spiritual crisis almost that comes from, from this experience. That, I mean, I'm talking specifically mm-hmm. about what, what amounts to the, the UFO contact experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Is that just a normal part of the progress of, or, or, or normal part of the progression of? Mm-hmm. Well, well, when you said dark night of the soul, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, that in a larger context and not this phenomenon, but or, or even in terms of spiritual emergency. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept from transpersonal psychology where a person loses touch with their their normal egoic uh, state of state or, or you know, their their... Um, ego identity, and, and they enter altered states um, uh, that are quite extreme um, over a period of time. And uh, so, so you know what? I, I think if, if we look at that in a broader framework, you'll see that whenever the ego is disrupted, <laughs> the normal sense of self, there can come that, that um, death process, okay? The, the death process of of uh, uh, letting go, and and that's the dark night of the soul, or such, and so so that I think that that's sort of the universal way that we we um, that we evolve, that we grow, and we have to sort of break through the boundaries of of our ego identity to do that, and that can be that can come with more or less difficulty if it if we're really hanging on, you know, or if there's really some structure that's that's tight. Um, then, then it may, and the, you know, you may have to go into uh, what seems like a death process in order to achieve the rebirth process. Yes, exactly. Uh huh. So, so it's, it's. I think it's our our way of of breaking through the, the humanity's way of of um, of growing. Um, we. It'd be nice if we could do it more gracefully. Um, but but some of the the biggest achievements are are had through the near death experience, and and that just shows the extreme that we have to go in order to break through. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the way I've just I mean I feel like I'm a little better now than I have been, but there was definitely a chapter of my life that sort of went back to around 2008 2009, um, mm-hmm. where it felt like uh, how do I describe it? It felt like um being in the washing machine, you know, like it's dark and someone's sitting on the, on the lid so you can't get out. And, mm. uh, you know, as the washing machine's going through like all the cycles, it's going, you know, like the cycle's dragging you under and, you know, it's, it's splashing around. And I feel like that described my life pretty accurately um, as I uh, was confronted with these experiences in my life. Uh, there came a point when I could no longer deny them. Let me just put it that way. And I had to pursue them. Are you saying that that was part of your depression that that you had to confront these experiences that, that they were breaking through? No, the depression was almost a decade earlier or over a decade earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I, yeah like, that's what, what I, I thought. Okay. Mm-hmm. In about in 2007, I, I basically realized I could no longer uh, uh, ignore these events in my life. Um, it felt like there was a there was a steady drumbeat 
of of certain stories, including the story of the of the uh, five aliens in the yard. I was completely capable of denying that that ever happened mm. um, in a way that mm. was uh, that I could tell. I could actually tell the story about seeing five aliens in my yard, and I could tell it in a way that was sort of jolly and sort of like you know, golly, you know, what the heck, you know, imagine that, you know, what a funny thing to like, you know, have in a dream, and. Yeah. Um, and then that that there came a point when I could no longer deny these uh, these mm-hmm. these stories. Oh, good, good. Because and, and, that, <laughs> and that and that uh, that arrived at around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Hmm. Interesting. Your propensity towards uh, depression, say, which is sort of like being underwater, you know, uh, in a in a muffled way. Or I, I'm just saying that loosely, but sure, you know, sort so, of yeah. like being. Um, uh, Oh, you said somebody was sitting on the lid of the washing <laughs> you know, being, machine. Yeah, exactly. Yes, being sat upon or uh, suppressed. Okay, depression is the great suppressor. Um, so your propensity for that form of um, difficulty, where, for example, I had cancer. You know, and the client I spoke of earlier had cancer. Um, but uh, we each have some kind of propensity, probably. Um, but. Um, that's that's going to dissociate you from the real from your experience, and so that's that's the that's the challenge is to um, get into the experience uh, to the degree that you can no longer deny it. Say to so that's that's when it's more fully integrated, and so yeah, you have a your unique challenge. Um, and it's interesting how the your experience interfaced with the depression. At that point, it turned around. It started to turn around. Um, so, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think, um, in terms of research, that would be one thing. I, the effects of depression on, on uh, the experiencer's life, um, and you know where that where that fits in with the experiences, uh, the timeline, because at that point you didn't, you hadn't remembered anything, right? At that point I had, um, you know, it's interesting at that point I had started reading UFO books and, Ah, and I would say uh that I started reading them a little bit compulsively and it was Mm -hmm. right around that chapter of my life. That you got depressed? That I got depressed and started reading UFO books. They kind of collided together. Oh, okay, and that lasted about how long before the five aliens? Uh, let's see. Let me put this in. Uh, so I started. I think I were. I remember reading my very first UFO book as an adult in 1991, and the event took place in uh, the winter of 92, 93. Probably either January or February of 93, as best as I can remember. Oh, so how long were you depressed before that event? Not that long. Uh, roughly a year. Well, it's it's very difficult. How do you just define depression? Um, it, it probably would have been um, most of that year, most of the year, mm-hmm. nineteen ninety two. I feel like I was probably oh. depressed, or, oh. mm-hmm. or 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 going down slowly and and very oh. consistently. Oh, for some reason, I thought there was close to a decade. That's no, and true. then the decade, then the decade later was mm-hmm. when I um, started looking into my own set of experiences. And that oh, would have okay. happened in 2006, 2007. So actually more like 15 years later, I started oh, looking at my okay. own experiences. Well, you know what? So for me as a clinician, if I looked at that trajectory, right, I might say something. I mean, this is speculation, but I might say that the depression, depression can be, it can be literally because something is oppressing us, right? So there's something that is 
uh, an oppressive factor or, or experience or person, right, that's sort of sitting on our energy. And so you can see something's trying to break through. Uh, something might be try something might have been trying to break through, but you you couldn't yet muster up the the energy the um, the the force uh, to uh, confront it. That results in depression. You know what I mean? Or, or that's part of the depression is that is that we you can't yet uh, face some force that's coming out. Uh, in your psyche, okay, or, or that's making itself known, and not being able to confront that or address it and integrate it is depressing. Is <laughs> because you're being suppressed. A part of your vital energy or your consciousness is being suppressed. I, I'm trying to state this. I'm not doing it very clearly. No, you're doing, it's, but, it's excellent. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so. Yeah, so so you know somebody. Uh, I mean, uh, I could use another example. Um, if we can't face some emergent, difficult issue, we're likely to get depressed um, until we start to more consciously confront it and turn that around. And so, I you know I could see your depression as something's breaking through, but but um, it's so threatening that. Um, the forces that be in your psyche are like sitting on it for a while as long as they can until, okay, wait a minute, this ain't working and here's five aliens at the door. And actually that was a helpful, that almost like they, they arrived uh, on cue as an intervention, <laughs> you know, to help turn your d- depression around. You know, um, and and quite and, honestly, I could, you know, you could extrapolate. I know how this is going to sound, but, um, they very much could have saved my life. I mean, I was, that's, that was the, I mean, the depression as a malady uh, Mm -hmm. could have very easily been fatal at that point. Sure. And and, and so there, I mean, whether it was with conscious intent on their part, it's like it all kind of comes together as your psyche at that point is like becomes mobilized. It's like, okay, face it, wake up. You ain't the only one in the universe. Um, and material reality is not the only dimensional reality there is, and facing it turns out to be easier than sitting on it, you know, and not. So, and hence the the depression starts to lift a little. I mean, that's that would make a nice headline. How the the cure for depression lies in the alien abduction phenomenon. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? And, and I don't have any evidence. I mean, like that would I would, I would if someone had like I would I don't know if I'd want to be directly associated with that because that, well, that seems anyway, a little just, too yeah but if we could bottle this if we could bottle if we could bottle uh the the the, the cure for our own ills lies in uh actually probably facing reality and growing because what it, like in, in like the, the timeline that exists so the the depressive events took place in uh the winter of 92 93 the really dark ones that I've experienced in my life. And um, in coming out of that, I spent the next, let's say, 15 years or so, 10 years, becoming a much better speaker, much more comfortable, and it seemed much more normal talking about my own feelings. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then in 2006, 2007, 2008, I realized I could no longer... I, I basically I had to pursue this. I had mm-hmm. to go down this road and look into these life events. 
Um, mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I started doing audio interviews and blogging and talking to people like you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, so there's the evolution of consciousness right there, and an individual is like is like we have to be more comfortable with our emotional body uh, to handle uh, 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 going into these realms. Because if you can't talk and about that and share that, you're not going to have much of a way to to process, you know, another dimensional reality. So that form of healing has to frequently come first. I know it did with me. So there you go, and, and then, then we can uh, much more confidently step into uh, the broader range of experience and that we, that we are capable of, and interspecies communication is one of the things. So, so as it is with the individual, so it's going to be with the collective. It, it, we've, uh, uh, in the last hundred-plus years, we've... Uh, been working very hard in psychology on trauma, uh, PTSD, sexual abuse, all of these kinds of things. Um, even now, abuse through government programs, right? And so, so by working on all of these things, we open up uh, the the potential of healing, and only through that can we start to get more comfortable with interfacing with other realities and other other beings. So. So, excellent. Good work. You've done a... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm... Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. I feel like I'm in the middle of it. It feels like whatever's going on is like a verb. You know, it's not like a, a noun yeah, that I can set right? on the table and say like, oh, here's what I've achieved. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like I'm in the middle of like a, a, a thing that, that I have mm -hmm. to, you know, like I'm, I'm like my hands are still on the clay trying to mold it. So, um, mm -hmm. um, it's just one final question here. In your book, Sacred mm -hmm. Encounters, you do mm -hmm. talk about uh, through the work with your patients uh, and clients, you do talk about an era, a, a new uh, time that we are, uh, we're, basically we're stepping out of an old time and into a new time. Uh, I just wish, could you, can you just talk about what you're getting from your clients as far as what's happening now and, and what sort of like uh, consciousness on a, on a grander scale, what's changing? Hmm. Um... That was a big question, I know. Yeah, right. I, I don't think this is an easy process we're, on, uh, we're engaged in on this planet. I think at this point it's somewhat of a death process itself. And so we're going through a dark night of the soul for the species in a way, uh, and it sort of follows the same uh, trajectory as it would in, in an individual. And so I think we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a lot of uh, polarization in our culture um, in the work I do with people, the people that tend to come to me are, are, are on the more conscious end. And so um, I see an accelerated consciousness uh, in, in this kind of population. And I'm not claiming that uh, uh, across the board for everyone on this planet, but everyone's playing a role. And so when you have a polarization, you've got to have the forces of light and dark, they they sort of balance each other out, and when that tension is the greatest, that's when the third transcendent form of consciousness is achieved. And that's a very union concept, but um, I find it to be the case uh, with individuals and the collective. Uh, so at this point, I see accelerated consciousness, but in the collective, there seems to be a grand polarization. We're all, on some level, whether you believe in global warming or not, 
uh, we're conscious that the environment is uh, degrading and that we're confronted with uh, this uh, now to the extent that we never have been before. And I think that uh, we're deluged with that awareness as catastrophe after catastrophe happens. And so the, the uh, individual psyches are threatened. I mean, people are threatened on a level here, and what happens when you're threatened? You, you close down until you, as you experience with your depression, uh, until you open up again, okay? And so, so um, I, I think we're going through a death process, and, uh, you know, at times it, it challenges my faith, um, but when you have experience with a death process on a personal level, that's when you you know, you have the greatest chance of hope and faith that we, we're going to see it through. We're going to come to another level of consciousness on this planet. I don't know what that looks like, and I don't think 2012 is necessarily the end point of it, not according to uh, our clocks, uh, my, my partner and I. But I'm definitely seeing the signs of that in, in a kind of accelerated consciousness with my clients, and that takes form in... in uh, uh, experiences of all nature, and my my new book, I'd just say, uh, the title is Therapy, and I don't have the subtitle yet, but what I want to do is show that these experiences that we're talking about here in our interview, that these are normal, that these are really, this is the capacity of the of the human personality and physiology to experience, and that uh we can deal with these in therapy. We can deal with these to facilitate our greater growth. Uh, and we can be helped through this process to do it more consciously and, and as gracefully as we can. So, so I'm, I'm looking at therapy and the way therapy aids this process and how the transpersonal psychology should really, at this point, meet in uh, clinical psychology and the two become one. So um, this has been a great interview. I, I really have enjoyed how far we've ranged. Good, uh, good, and I so have I, so have I. And, I, and it was interesting because I, I did make a long list of questions, and I really feel like I got <laughs> to all of them. So oh wow. Well, I, I didn't ask him. I think you just you jumped ahead and sort of answered them for me. So oh, wonderful. I appreciate your personal sharing. I think that uh, that's the heart of it, after all. Um, I just said a lot of uh, sort of uh, philosophical things, but the heart of it is in the experiences I've had and you've had and, and my clients. So I, I really appreciate your honesty. So good, good. Thank and it's you been very it's much. been a, it's been whatever like uh, you know like I'm honest to, in a way that that uh, uh, like in order to go down this road, I kind of had to make a like a like a decision like a profound decision that like if i was actually going to go down this road and i would have to like it wouldn't work unless i was i was sort of honest i mean there's a, there's a, some personal stuff that i'll edit out maybe but um that's been a, a sort of mission statement of mine as i as i proceed forward mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. maybe i'm it's annoying to some folks out there and that's that's too bad because i don't know any other way to proceed that's right that's right that's your consecration and that's a high one so so I honor that, and thank you very much for <laughs> for interviewing. Yeah, this has been great. Oh, good. Thank you. Great. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Great. We'll say hi to Weezy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Okay, thanks so much. Bye now. All right, bye. 
I hope uh, you as a listener got something out of that. I do want to say that I did get pretty deep uh, into some of my own personal experiences, and, and less the uh, paranormal set of experiences that, that uh, have interceded with my life, and, and more with the history of clinical depression that I've had in my life. Uh, during the editing process, I was very concerned that, that sharing as much as I did may come across as, a, I don't know, just a little gushing or uh, a little too much. I was quite close to snipping all that stuff out, and upon listening to it, and then upon the final little bit where Dr. Kali uh, sort of compares the, the, the spiritual crisis of an individual to the collective crisis that we as a society are dealing with, I just thought that rang true to me, and I, and I left my own uh, personal musings in there on purpose. I mentioned this in the opening comments. Uh, there is a stigma associated with depression and other forms of, of what are very common forms of mental illness. There's the stigma. I don't approve of it. I think it's dangerous. I, uh, now I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit. I think it's dangerous, and part of the reason I think it's dangerous is because uh, a certain percentage, depending on how you look at the numbers, about 15% of the people who suffer from clinical depression will attempt suicide. So the disease, the malady, has the potential to be fatal, and it is being ignored. If we as a society were confronted with any other issue that uh, we looked at, and, and such large numbers of people were dying because of it, I think there would be a much more aggressive intervention on the part of everyone. Collectively, everyone would, would jump in. I live in a very small town, and this little town, this little county has been plagued with suicides over the last couple of years. It has been statistically quite frightening for such a tiny community to deal with something like this. I really feel that the issue is uh, just a, an inability for for the public to accept it. Uh, it, it there is a, a very aggressive form of denial taking place. And maybe my outspokenness uh, is is just uh, a way to try to combat that. And hopefully, who knows, my little drop in the pond may start a ripple and uh, and hopefully maybe someone might seek help earlier than they might otherwise have. Okay, just a little bit more on this. I have been told by some folks, and some folks that I trust deeply, that I should probably not share as much as I have been about the depression issue. And I, I, I'm just going to choose to disagree, partially for the reasons I said before, and uh, partially because I feel like it is tied into this subject. I have met with a number of researchers, and these would be UFO abduction researchers, and I have sat with them and talked about some of my experiences. And during that process, I will say, uh, listen, um, you know, here's my history, here's what's up, and just so you know, I have a history of clinical depression. And without skipping a beat, they nod and, and we move on. Uh, later, I've asked each and every one of them, and, um, and these are folks that, whose names you would recognize, and I've asked them about you know, the, the issue of depression and if it shows up in the other patients that they work with. And uh, I want to be careful how I say this. I, they pretty much say it's 100%. And that, uh, and I feel funny saying that because uh, I don't have any data to back that up, but they pretty much say all of their patients share something to that effect. They say pretty much that uh, each and every single one of their patients is dealing with some form of, oh, let's just say profound psychological stress, and it shows up often in the form of clinical depression. So this little data point is uh, is part of a pattern that gets reported. Okay, enough on that.
I also want to say at one point, um, Dr. Kali and I speculate about, uh, oh, the relationship between an event that took place in 1992, where I, uh, in a very dreamlike other realm state, saw five entities out my bedroom window in Maine. Uh, we go back and forth and we speculate on how that showed up in the timeline of my life. Uh, that, I thought that speculation was really therapeutic for me as an individual. Um, and uh, we jump to some conclusions and we back away from them, or I certainly do. Uh, Dr. Kali literally says something to the effect of, um, uh, the headline in the paper should say, Alien Abduction Cures Depression. Uh, and I, 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 you can hear me, and I take, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go down that avenue. That, that, that was, a, that was a big, big, big leap, and I don't know quite what to make of uh, of that statement. Uh, she said it obviously in in a sort of lighthearted form of speculation, and for me, from my direct experience, that just don't ring true. So, all that said, I will say that, dang, I got a huge amount of respect for Dr. Kali. The book is excellent, and I hopefully. We'll talk to her again someday and hopefully do it in the form of an audio interview just like this. Uh, I, I thought this was great. But I will say I'm just disappointed at myself. One of the things that, that she said, she had her own set of experiences. She was very quick to say they did not match the alien abduction experience. But um, I didn't press her on that, and, and I wish I had, uh, maybe in another interview. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.